We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Fairport and Blue Wire. It's Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Yusei Kotal. We are recording this episode on Thursday, June 9th, as the Bears just finished up their last week of voluntary OTAs and are now going to be going into their I think it's the last week of OTAs coming up. It's going to be mandatory OTAs next week coming up here. Um, but before we get to the topic of today's podcast, you said, how are we doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well, obviously. Um, slower parts of the offseason. We did get some Bears news on Tuesday. They were docked for um, an OTA practice just because of violating the rules and protocols that were set forth by the league about no contact and just how much physicality and intensity you can bring. But, you know, still some action going on at Hallis Hall. Yeah, I think there was a pretty decent amount to talk about here this past week when it comes to this Bears team. Um, you know, you talk about the OTAs and uh, getting back to practice. Um, you know, I, I thought it seemed like there was like a contingent of Bears fans that were freaking out over it when that news dropped. And then there's another contingent that were like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just an OTA. You know, we want to see them, you know, playing physical and playing hard in practice. Um you know, it's an interesting conversation to have. I kind of, I find myself in the middle here because, you know, for one, I, I think you need as many reps as possible uh, with a new regime and a young team coming in here um, to build up, uh, you know, the foundation of what you want to build for 2022 and beyond. So, you know, losing an extra practice does kind of suck from that standpoint, but also, um, also understand that, you know, it's a new regime. They're wanting to set the tone here with, it, it seems like, Iberflus wants to set the tone with a more physical mindset and practice and, and is really trying to push things. And, um, you know, I don't think this is a mistake. I think this is deliberate by the Bears here. I think they wanted to test out what they could get away with. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting how OTAs have gone so far. You know, again, we haven't gotten a ton, it seems like, of, of any information from 
these OTAs. Maybe we get some more information from the mandatory OTAs uh, next week, which would be pretty interesting to see. Um, but yeah, it's, it's odd. It, it seems like it's been pretty low key in terms of actually anything coming out of the news front, the news front, um, whether the bears are just hiding things from the media and, and us, the public here from anything going on our practice, or there just really isn't anything of note that's really going on. It, it's, I, I found that to be pretty fascinating so far throughout this entire summer process. Yeah. I mean, regarding the practice being docked right by the league i have to say this is that you know you mentioned matt eberflus being big tough physical kind of wanting to set the tone in practice and it's interesting because people were kind of losing their minds like they always do on social media about this whole fiasco and i tweeted from the twitter account at, at picks for polls i was like hey listen Matty Berflus is doing the exact opposite of what Matt Nagy's approach was, which was going hard in practice, you know, having guys be tough and be physical. And ultimately, people are getting mad because something's changing and something's different, you know. And so I think when you look at this, right, people have to understand that in the greater context of things, the real roster evaluation is going to go ahead and it's going to take place throughout training camp and preseason. And of the 90 guys that are on the roster right now, but ultimately we also have to consider this is that these OTAs and these mandatory mini camps that are coming up here over the next couple of weeks, they are also a great opportunity for the bears to go ahead and just experiment with some stuff that the team probably wants to do in training camp, but is so unsure of like Braxton Jones starting with the first team at offensive tackle. You know, I don't, I'm not going to trash Braxton Jones, but I would not be entirely confident if Jones opens the season as the Bears starter on the left side protecting Justin Fields, just because the Bears would probably have the worst starting left tackle in the NFL at that point. Yeah, well, if you're going to be trying out new things, I think OTAs is the time to do it. You know, you're not typically you're not wearing pads. You know, a lot of it is just kind of setting the the basics of what you want to do offensively and defensively and, and really get the process rolling in terms of building uh, the, your culture for the upcoming year, I think. And I look at, you look at the offensive line, what they've done kind of shuffle this thing around a little bit. And we'll talk more about this when it comes to the subject of today's uh, podcast, talking about uh, the 2021 class. Um, but uh, you know, I thought it was interesting because you know, the, you talk about the first team, the guy's getting the first team reps in his last OTA that we were able to get, you know, some media attendance at, uh, you know, Braxton Jones was starting at left tackle. You had uh, Cody Whitehair, of course, at left guard. You had, uh, you know, Lucas Patrick at center. Sam Ustafer, I believe, was at right guard. And then, uh, interesting enough, Larry Borm was at right tackle, not Tevin Jenkins. So Larry Borm was getting the first team reps at right tackle instead of second round pick. Jenkins there I thought that was you know it seemed like a lot of Bears were freaking out over that the most from uh that little nugget there from uh that last practice you know you know why is Kevin Jenkins a second round pick you know playing like the second string guys you know does this mean that the Bears coaching staff isn't really high on him or you know isn't really hasn't been impressed with what he's shown so far and it's tough at this early point in the offseason um with the fact that these guys are just playing in shorts right now, there's not a ton of hitting. They're not really, really getting after it um, at this point in time. It You're not going to be able to judge offensive line play 
fully when they're just in shoulder pads and shorts. So like, that's just not, that's not how it usually works. You know, I think training camp is going to be the time where we really start to see them try to hone in on who are going to be the starters here. And, and a lot of this could be that they want to try out some new things in OTAs right now to see if there are any veteran additions out there in free agency that they want to add here um, to supplement the current rosters. So they want to give these guys a shot in OTAs to kind of see what's working, what doesn't work. Um, you know, I will say in terms of Braxton Jones that while I don't think he's a guy that ideally you don't want him starting um, as a rookie, you know, Braxton Jones does intrigue me as a player overall. So I, I you know, I am excited to see him get reps. I, I think he should be, if they're not going to bring in a veteran here, he should be getting competition here with Larry Borm or Tevin Jenkins for a starting tackle spot until proven otherwise, because I think he does have some interesting developmental traits and, you know, quite frankly, Larry Borm and Seven Jenkins haven't done anything um, to really prove that they have earned a starting spot going forward. I know Seven Jenkins, he's a second round pick and everyone loves him as a prospect. I, I certainly loved him as a prospect. Um, he, he was a guy that a lot of people were very high on um, going into the 2021 draft. You know, we just didn't see him, you know, play a lot last year because of injuries and, and whatnot. So, you know, Larry Borm got a lot of play time last year. It, as for many, you know, fifth round rookies, it was really up and up and down for Larry Borm throughout his rookie season. So um, there's really not a ton of takeaway there. So I get it. Um, it is, again, it is interesting that Tevin Jenkins isn't seen as a lock for a starting position, but keep in mind that, you know, Jalen Johnson was, you know, playing second string for a couple of practices early on as well. And, you know, he was back in first team in this practice and he was, you know, making what it sounds like making play a lot of plays on the ball and doing, Jalen Johnson things in terms of, you know, being a just a complete stud at that outside cornerback position. So, um, you know, it's a new regime. They're trying out different things here. It seems like it's still really early in the off season. I think you said, what we have to do here as bears fans is take a deep breath, take a step back and let's not overreact to things that are going on in these practices until we, you know, get the training camp where we can really see these guys um, get to see what this team is all about. Because I don't think there's a ton that we're going to be able to learn about in OTAs because OTAs, I mean, it is practice in the true definition of the word. These guys are just trying to figure out the basics of what they're implementing here. And the coaching staff is trying to figure out what they have in this team. So that's really what this entire time period is all about. I, I wouldn't take too many, too many things seriously here. Um, at the moment but you know we'll see how it goes when we get to training camp and we'll see how this last week of OTAs goes but uh, in terms of the subject of today's episode you said um, you know the last time we were uh, talking with each other you know we went through the 2020 draft class for the Chicago Bears really went over um, you know all the picks all the players that were drafted in that draft class talking about what their careers have been to date and what our expectations are for them now that they're going into their third year and they have a new regime to kind of prove, you know, what their status is with the bears long-term um, today. We're going to be focusing on the 2021 draft class for the Chicago bears last year's draft class and kind of talk about what our expectations are for this group going into their second season. And of course their first under a new regime. So let's just get into it right away. You said with, you know, just breaking down the draft as a whole and what happened with Ryan Pace's last draft as the general manager for Chicago Bears. Obviously, everyone knows about the trade-up for Justin Fields in the first round, giving up our first, a future first-round pick uh, to move up from 20 to 11 to draft Justin Fields to hopefully be that franchise quarterback. You know, starting off that draft with a bang, uh, that, that's for sure. 
And then Ryan Pace followed that up, trading up again in the second round to get Tevin Jenkins offensive tackle out of Oklahoma State, which we talked about earlier before, and we talked about that quite a bit. And then on day three, they had uh, five picks here on day three. Uh, in the fifth round, getting Larry Borm, another offensive tackle out of Missouri. Three six-round picks with Khalil Herbert, running back out of Virginia Tech. Uh, Daz Newsom, wide receiver in North Carolina. Thomas Graham, cornerback out of Oregon. And Kyrus Tonga, defensive lineman out of BYU. So let's start off with Justin Fields and really break down his rookie year. So you say, what were your thoughts on Justin Fields as a rookie? And, you know, this is really the big question here. What is Justin Fields going to be in year two? Because let's be honest, that's the only thing that really matters for this Bears team going into next year is what does Justin Fields look like? So you see, I'll start with you. What were your thoughts on Fields' rookie year? And what do you think he needs to improve on going into his second season here? Yeah, I think really, you know, his rookie year was about as rookie as it could get. You saw a lot of ups, you saw a lot of downs, but I also think that for all the people who kind of says that he struggles in terms of being able to go ahead and get the ball out on time, you know, we're just processing read defenses quickly enough. I think that the secondary thing, processing reading defense is quick enough. That's just something that all rookie quarterbacks struggle with. But then on the other hand, you know, it's, I think, hard to some of the struggles that the Bears had on offense last year were on Justin, you know, and they were Justin specifically that was struggling. But on the other hand, it was so hard to really get a gauge of where he was truly at as a rookie quarterback because the other 10 guys around him were, let's just call it how it is, incredibly inconsistent. It's like you're sitting in a pass-happy league and you're trying to get this passing offense going. And unfortunately, it just wasn't working. you know. And I think last year with Justin, it kind of became cemented in a lot of people's minds that – Andy Dalton's mediocre, never was a solution. Nick Foles, mediocre, never the solution. Mitch Trubisky, mediocre, never really the solution. But then the really, the bigger problem finally became is that people finally understood that Matt Nagy was the biggest problem of all, you know? And, and so when you look at Justin last year, I thought that there were a lot of good things too, like First game he started at home, I think it was against the Lions. And on that first drive, he connected with Darnell Mooney three separate times for 29 yards, including a 21-yard reception. You know, and then on top of that, you saw some of the deep ball accuracy. You saw the athleticism that he has, as well as the mobility, just the ability to kind of get out of the pocket, go ahead and extend plays. Example of that would just be that kind of tippy-toe end zone touchdown that he had to, or corner the end zone touchdown, I should say, that he had in the second half against Pittsburgh, connected with Darnell Mooney there. So that was a pretty sweet highlight. But, you know, he, I think, just has to overall get faster at processing and playing. And, again, that's a lot of stuff that just comes with time. And when we see a lot of kind of what's come out of Hallis Hall this year, I think what you see is obviously a leaner Justin Fields because he certainly looks like he's been lifting weights this offseason. But then also I think what you see more than anything is just, a smarter Justin Fields and someone whose footwork I think has pretty much gotten better. And so he's ready for that year to jump now, specifically because the bears have gone ahead. Right. And they've kind of brought in an offensive coordinator and Luke Getze, who's going to run a scheme that's predicated on basically having Justin do all the basics while continuing to develop him on the fly. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I, I think when I look at Justin Fields' rookie year, uh, it was a case of a lot of ups and a lot of downs and a lot, a lot, a lot of downs for Justin Fields in his rookie year. And a lot of that, you know, like you kind of mentioned, it wasn't all on, on him. I go back to that Cleveland game. I mean, you're talking about a coach leaving his player out the drive, out the dry. Um, that's basically what Matt Nagy did in that Cleveland Browns game with the game that they had. And I know Matt Nagy is going to get a lot of flack for his plan for Justin Fields going in to the year when he they drafted and they had Andy Dalton um, as the starter there. They never really gave Justin Fields a chance to go up there and push Andy Dalton for the job and earn the job from Andy Dalton, despite, you know, trading up for him in the first round. And, you know, Justin Fields didn't get really any reps with the first team offense throughout training camp. And that, and that was something where, you know, Justin Fields would have days where he looks so much better than Andy Dalton in practice and, the next day, it's like you get less reps with the first team. It, it, it made no sense, I think, from uh, the development aspect. And, you know, clearly there was a disconnect between, you know, the plan for developing Justin Fields as the franchise quarterback. Here, they're clearly, you know, the coaching staff, the organization, they wanted to shelve Justin Fields for a year and go with the development process and, and kick that down the road another year because they felt like that gave them the best chance to win in 2021 you know was that the right strategy i clearly it didn't result <laughs> very well for them since the entire regime got fired um after the seasons and the team struggled as a result with any Dolan on offense um it was just one of those things where uh it just made no sense um you know the fact that matt nagy was calling an offense for he was basically calling an offense the way he would call an offense for alex smith or any Dolan and not for Justin Fields, you know, the fact that Justin Fields had one of the lowest play action rates, you know, play action pass rates in the NFL throughout his rookie year, you know, the play calling in terms of running the ball in early downs, and then basically forcing Justin Fields to have to play Superman on third downs. Like a lot of that stuff went against Justin Fields. But I think, like you said, there are a lot of things that Justin Fields is going to have to work on uh, going into his second year. And you kind of talk about the processing quite a bit, like the decision-making, let's just, be quite frank here, Bears fans, like the decision-making with Justin Fields has to be quicker. The timing of him working in the uh, structure of the offense has to be much, much faster if he's going to be a successful quarterback at the next level. Because, yeah, there are a lot of things that Matt Nagy did that hurt Justin Fields, but also there are a lot of 
you, you can go back and look at a bunch of plays out there from Justin Fields on tape in 2021. And you can see where, you know, Matt Nagy did make a good play call and Justin Fields would screw it up because he's not reading the defense quick enough, or he's not making his decision quick enough, or he's second guessing himself, or he's just holding onto the ball too long, not making a decision. Um, that happened quite a bit over the course of his rookie year. And again, you expect those type of things from a rookie quarterback. So, you know, Matt Nagy should have done more to help out Justin Fields and make things easier for him. But we still have to look at things objectively here and say that, you know, Justin Fields had plenty of opportunities where there were plays on the field and he didn't make them for whatever reason. And he has to cut down on those mistakes and execute those plays when they're there. You know, you look at all of his struggles, most of them came in the quick game um, throughout his rookie year. You know, I think we're going to be seeing less of that um, going into this upcoming season with Luke Getze at offensive coordinator or kind of bring the Shanahan style of offense. That's not really what they do. Their quick game really relies more so on quick screens and RPOs and things of that nature. Not really um, the quick passing game and, you know, the short three-step drops and all that stuff. That's not really what uh, the Shanahan offense emphasizes. A lot of it's screens, play action, bootlegs, stuff to make things a little bit easier on the quarterback that way rather than the quick passing game. I, I just don't think Justin Fields He's a fit for that style of offense that Matt Nagy was kind of trying to force him to do. Now, in terms of the positives that we saw from Fields last year, I think the main positive for me was that we saw consistent growth and improvement from him throughout the year. You look at how bad he was early in the year. That Cleveland game was pretty pretty rough, um, of course. Uh, the Tampa Bay game was another game where he just looked really, really bad. I know the offensive line of that one didn't do him any favors. That's for sure. You know, he had some bright spots against the Lions, um, the Packers game was a little bit of a struggle. Both Packers games, I thought he wasn't particularly great in, in either of those ones. But you go back to the San Francisco 49ers game where he made a couple of heroic, you know, Herculean efforts um, on, on some plays in that game to give the Bears a chance to win that one against the 49ers team that ends up going to the NFC Championship game. Uh, you go to the Pittsburgh Steelers game, of course, on the road. I mean, that's the type of things where, you need to see more of that going into his second season year. More games in Pittsburgh where it was pretty evident that, you know, you felt confident. You felt like late in that game that, you know, we just need to get Justin Fields the ball one more time. We just need to get him one more possession. We need to give him some more time to get down the field because if we if he gets the ball one more time or he has enough time to work with here, he's going to go down there and he's going to win us this damn day game because that's how well he was playing. You know, he gave you that feeling of, okay, defense, just get a quick stop here because Justin Fields got this. And we haven't felt that, I think, from a quarterback in a very long time here in Chicago. Um, Jay Culler had a couple of games in a couple of years where um, you kind of felt like that from him. I, I remember that 2015 year where it felt like he was, you know, doing a fourth quarter comeback like every other week uh, for that team that wasn't very good in Chicago that year. But, you know, they still had some, you know, pretty, pretty fun moments there during that season. You know, Justin Fields, he, he felt like a dude in that game against Pittsburgh, against Pittsburgh Steelers. And of course, it just goes to show that I think in the very next week it was against the Ravens, he got hurt and we never really got to see that guy um, again for the rest of the year. His last game against the Minnesota Vikings, he got injured, missed the rest of the season. And it just kind of felt like his season ended um, with a little bit of a whimper instead of a bang. Like you didn't get to see that crescendo moment for him as he improved throughout the year, which was disappointing to say the least. Now, going into the year two, uh, the couple of things that I'm looking for here, because let's be honest here, Bears fans, we talked about it quite a bit. I've certainly talked about it quite a bit, but the surrounding core, 
on this offense right now is not good. The Bears on paper, they have a bottom three offensive line in football. They have a bottom three receiving group in football. You have a first-year head coach. You have a first-year offensive coordinator. You're hoping the defense is good, but, you know, again, they're a young defense. They've let go of a couple of really good players, um, you know, trading away Cleo Mack, letting Akeem Hicks go in free agency. Um, you know, th- th- there's just a lot of turnover right now on this roster, and this offensive roster in general is just really bad. So to expect Justin Fields to go out there and light up here in his second year, similar to um, the second-year jump we would see from a lot of these quarterbacks like Joe Burrow, you know, him having that second-year jump, or Carson Wentz having a second-year jump, you know, back then Jared Goff had a second-year jump. I, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, and not to say that's necessarily a bad thing, um, but I, I just don't think you're going to be seeing that jump that we've seen from quarterback, young quarterbacks in the past, like a Josh Allen, a um, bunch of other guys here that I could, I could list off um, that are escaping me right now. But, you know, I, I don't think that's in the cards. What you hope to see is kind of what you alluded to. You hope to see him operate the offense quicker. You hope to see him be more comfortable operating the offense and playing within the structure of the offense. You hope that you get a couple more games like you saw in Pittsburgh where he can put the team on his back despite the obstacles of his supporting cast and lead his team to wins. And you just want to see him establish himself as that guy, that dude for this franchise moving forward. I think we're starting to see that a little bit. The fact that he is the unquestioned starter for the Bears going into this offseason, I think you're seeing the entire team start to really galvanize around him and, you know, really build upon that fact that, you know, this is our team leader. This is our guy leading us forward into the future here. And the team is excited for Justin Fields. And I think that's the exciting thing for him moving forward. Again, statistically wise, it's probably not going to be great for Justin Fields this year. And I, that, I, that should be expected. It shouldn't be a bad thing, but you're looking for the little things here. You know, is he throwing the ball more accurately in the quick game? Is he making decisions faster? Is he cutting down on, you know, holding the ball too long and taking really bad sacks, which is a really big problem for him last year was you know, a lot of the offensive line problems were on the bears, but a lot of the were a lot of those problems were on Justin Fields, just holding on to the ball too damn long. You know, can he cut down on those mistakes? Can he cut down on the fumbles? Like all these little things here, if he could do that, I think those are probably going to be the positives for Justin Fields in 2022. Yeah. And I want to add something right now, as you talk about all those quarterbacks, you know, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, you look at Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, a couple other guys, obviously, that you went ahead and mentioned. Even I would argue and throw in there Justin Herbert, too, who's going into year three. Josh Allen's a big one, as well as Lamar Jackson. What's a common theme that all those players had? It's the fact that they had the same coaching staff and offensive coordinator from rookie season going into year two you know unfortunately Justin doesn't have that luxury and the Spares franchise has always just been reduce reuse recycle so that continuity I think really plays a major role in the development of these quarterbacks and unfortunately Justin doesn't have that luxury but who does have that luxury Mac Jones does Trey Lance does Zach Wilson does. Justin, unfortunately, doesn't have that. Neither does Trevor Lawrence. So this isn't something that I think is exclusive to Justin. It's exclusive to what a lot of people were calling the generational talent at the quarterback position in Trevor Lawrence, too. But, you know, getting away from it here, I think that outside of Justin, the other big thing in this draft is just everyone is kind of scratching their heads and wondering how exactly did Tevin Jenkins fall to the 39th overall pick. And it's interesting because Ryan Pace after the draft kind of admitted that, yeah, you know, we do share 
medical information with other teams. We know for a fact just what is um, Tevin's Jenkins back injury. Ultimately, the Bears felt confident enough in taking a risk on him. I think that so many people tend to forget that that year, there were times throughout the later parts of the winter, early parts of the spring, you know, March going into early parts of April, that a lot of people had Tevin Jenkins ranked as a top 20 prospect. And that a lot of people looked at Tevin Jenkins as being just as good as a guy like Rashawn Slater or Christian Derisaw. You know, so why Jenkins slipped was because of the back injury. And again, the Bears mishandled. He didn't miss the entire season last year because of his back injury. That's only 50% of the reason. That's not 100% of the reason. The other 50% of it is the fact that the Bears just kind of mishandled the entire thing because when they should have just resorted to surgery, they kind of decided to jump through loopholes. And I remember Matt Nagy at every single press conference saying, oh yeah, well, we're going to make sure we're taking it easy with him. We're easing him back in. And then all of a sudden, you know, kind of came training camp and they just completely shut him down in the second or third week. I know you and I were at Hallis Hall one or two days last year for camp. And all we saw was number 76 just standing off to the side in his jersey and shorts with his glasses on. And so you look at that and you say, you know, with Tevin Jenkins, again, it's you saw so much last year in the five games that he played but he's still not where he needs to be. And so that brings us to 2022, where when he's playing and practicing in these OTAs as part of the second team, that doesn't mean that Tevin Jenkins is on the roster bubble. He's going to be a backup or just isn't talented. It merely means that the Bears are going ahead and just figuring out what works best. And I think if you look at the Bears offseason moves, you know, Ryan Pace last year alluded to the fact that after the 2021 NFL draft concluded someone asked hey is Charles Leno Jr. gone what's the plan for Tevin Jenkins and Pace basically went ahead and was just admitting that we don't have a quote-unquote plan in place yet but we all knew the plan in place which pretty much was that Jenkins was going to move to the left side but there are questions about that because he's more natural fit is on the right side that's just where he kind of gained his reputation and played his best college football so he's moving back to the right side this year conversely Larry Borum is going to move to the left side hopefully whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Yeah, I think Tevin Jenkins, it's just unfortunate because he basically had a lost year in his rookie season. When you bring in a new regime, you know, they have no outside of maybe Justin Fields who you think they would want, they would be excited to come in and build a team around him with a new front office there. We, but we don't know, Ryan Poles may not be committed to, to Justin Fields. But 
I mean, they're not committed to Tevin Jenkins and making him work long-term here because he wasn't their draft pick. He was Ryan Pace's draft pick. He was Ryan Pace's decision to trade up for Tevin Jenkins, cut Charles Leno in the last year of his contract, and force Tevin Jenkins to switch positions from right tackle to left tackle. That was Ryan Pace's decision. That's not, you know, Eberflus's. That's not Ryan Poles' model here. You know, that's not their plan for Tevin Jenkins here. And it's very well be the case that Tevin Jenkins isn't considered in the long-term plans yet. He may have to prove to them um, to be in those long-term plans because he did nothing his rookie year. You know, a lot of that is not his fault, but he did nothing in his rookie year to prove that he's a long-term building block for this team moving forward, as sad as that is, um, because I love Tevin Jenkins. So I want to see him work for this team moving forward because you can – knock down that right tackle spot moving forward long-term, that's a big positive for for your team moving forward to have a stud right tackle uh, to build your offensive line around. I think that's very po- a very positive thing to have. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to see that because the injuries just robbed him of an entire year, basically. Um, and I, I go back to thinking, you know, if Ryan Poles, after what we saw with the Larry Okunjobi deal, where, you know, they decided not to go through with that signing because of, you know, medical issues and, and not feeling good about a physical, you know, would have Ryan Poles have drafted Tevin Jenkins uh, with knowing the fact that Tevin Jenkins had back problems in college? And that was not a new thing. Like, there's a reason why Tevin Jenkins fell to the second round, despite the fact that every single mock drafts, scout, draft Twitter, person uh pff every single draft data spear out there had tevin jenkins as a first round talent and a lot of them had him as a top 20 prospect in the draft you know you know why is this guy falling to almost the mid-second round despite the fact that all these all these people have him as a first as a lock to be a first round talent you know there are there have to be questions there from a lot of teams and i think a lot of teams they did not feel great about you know, his medicals in terms of the back. And we saw that his rookie year, the back was an issue for him all year long. And, you know, we did get on the field late in the year. Like he showed that that lack of practice throughout training camp and OTAs, whatever it, it affected him. Like he was not that dominant road grading presence. He clearly looked, you know, not in the greatest shape. He, his technique was fine, but he could have used a little bit more improvement uh, there. And he just did not look as comfortable there. Um, in the limited playing time that we saw from him. Now he did have, I, I, I charted him um, in all of his starts. He did have a really nice game against the Minnesota Vikings, which I was glad to see, but you know, that Packers game was a rough one and you know, we just did not see a ton from Devin Jenkins. So I'm glad to see that the coaching staff, it seems like they are committed to putting him back at right tackle. I think that is his best spot moving forward. You know, his best trait and attribute is his mauling, tenacity in the run game and his ability to be a dominant force basically a weapon in the run game for you whether you're running you know gaps game inside zone uh, outside zone getting him on the move like this guy is a complete road grader in the run game so you want to be able to utilize that and you know he's not I wouldn't say he's a bad pass protector in terms of his traits but you know, pass protecting is secondary to his ability as a run blocker. So it makes sense that you want to have that type of a player on the right side of your offensive line. I know tackles are kind of interchangeable in today's NFL, but it makes sense in terms of you want to have your natural pass protector on the left side uh, because, you know, it it just helps in terms of protecting the blind side of the quarterback and have more of your run blocking specialists on the right side of the offensive line, although you need your right tackles to be good in pass protection as well. 
Um, you know, my hope for Tevin Jenkins going into year two is one, just to see him stay healthy for an entire year. I know that's kind of a low bar to clear, but I mean, that's, that's the first step because it does take a lot of tackles a couple of years to get their feet wet in the NFL and really start to ascend into what they are going to be at the next level. You know, I, I can't tell you how many offensive tackles we see struggle for their first two or three years in the NFL. And then year four, or year five, it seems like things click for them and they start to play at a very high level. You saw that from DJ Humphreys with the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Garrett Bowles with the Denver Broncos. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of people were considered the, considering those guys to be bust after their first couple of years in the NFL. I, I go back and look at, you know, Andrew Thomas from last year, uh, with the New York Giants, you know, if you look at just his rookie year, you consider him a bust as the fourth overall pick in the draft. Well, he was awesome last year for the most part with the Giants. So it takes these tackles some time um, to really develop and get their feet under them in the NFL. So the number one goal for Tevin Jenkins this year should be to be healthy and to start all 17 games for the Bears this year and get those lumps in now because this is essentially his rookie year here in 2022 so there are going to be some ups and those are, there are going to be a, quite a few downs and i think if you're the bears you know if you're evaluating this guy to be a long-term piece you have to give him the opportunity to make those mistakes and you know, hopefully grow from that and if he doesn't improve throughout the course of the year then you know that okay we have a problem at right tackle now and tevin jenkins while he was drafted high he's got the pedigree you know He's proven nothing to us in terms of, you know, we can look to upgrade that spot potentially, or at least add competition there and see if that's something we can, you know, address moving forward here. So um, again, I hope that Tevin Jenkins put him at right tackle, put him in this outside zone scheme where he can just get on the move and kick ass and see what he can do for you in what's essentially going to be his rookie year. That's really all I care about for him. You know, I think he, I think there are going to be games where he does struggle quite a bit. I think that's just the nature of playing off to tackle as a young guy in the NFL. Again, the, the main thing for me is, you know, hopefully that back is okay. And there aren't any lingering issues from everything that we saw last year. Like if we can avoid the entire saga of last year where he wasn't playing in training camp and we just didn't know what was going on, that would be the biggest positive for me. Now, the Bears did take another offensive tackle, as we know, in this draft class. You, you mentioned him earlier, uh, Larry Borum in the fifth round. He, he got to see extensive playing time last year at right tackle and left, left tackle, you said. Um, you know, I'll just give my quick thoughts on Larry Borum for games. You said, um, you know, Larry Borum, he was a guy that I, I you know, it was, I actually liked that pick of him in the fifth round. I thought that was a good, very good value for him when they got him because I do think he had the traits to develop eventually into a swing tackle, and I think he showed – all those traits last year that I don't know if he's a long-term starter. I think the, the Larry Borm high is getting a little bit too out of control in terms of penciling him in as a long-term starter already, but he did show enough to where I think he can play in the NFL. Um, I think he's got good traits to be able to play both sides at left tackle and right tackle in terms of being that swing tackle guy. Um, you know, what were your thoughts on Larry Borm's rookie year and, and what are your expectations for him in year two? Yeah, I think when you look at Larry Borm, just by virtue of kind of the way that the Bears mishandled the left tackle position, you know, with Jason Peters coming in halfway through camp, kind of being severely out of playing shape, Tevin Jenkins injury, he was kind of just forced and thrown into the fire, having to play left tackle, a position he never really played before, but he kind of held his own fourth down and was pretty, pretty serviceable. Now, moving forward, does that mean that Larry Borum is going to be a player that 
can be a long-term fixture at left tackle for Chicago, that I think is up for the coaching staff to decide. I think that the potential is certainly there, but it's going to take a lot for him to even kind of reach that ceiling. Because again, I think when you talk about Larry Borm, you're looking at someone whose ceiling is a great starter, but then whose floor is an above average backup swing tackle, right? So what you're seeing here is this, is that I think with Borum compared to Jenkins, he obviously showcased more last year because he showed more potential and that had the previous regime still been here, he would have gone into this year as a surefire starter. But ultimately with Borum, I think just what this comes down to is that he has to prove himself more than it any other offensive lineman outside of Tevin Jenkins to legitimately have a shot because he is someone that did, like I said, put enough out on tape to the point where you could see him being a scheme fit here with just the physical mentality that he plays with. I think that as a pass protector, he's good, but he's not necessarily great. So he does need to improve in that area. Yeah, Borum's definitely got some things to work on going into his second year. Like, I think his footwork could get cleaned up, although he does have quick feet for being such a big guy. Um, but, you know, there were definitely times, like you said, pass protection where he was getting beat um, quite a bit by the end of the year. It's, it seems like pass rushers did figure him out by the end of the year when, you know, the Bears coaching staff, you know, they, they protected him quite a bit early on, but they didn't do that near the end of the year. It seems like they just kind of like, okay, Larry Borum, you got, you know, we protected you the first couple of weeks, but now you're on your own and let's see how you do. And he did not respond very well. Those last couple of games there, he really struggled um, late in the year. Um, but, you know, the run game, you know, typically you think he, you know, him being such a big guy that he'd be a mauler in that aspect of things. Like I, I didn't quite see that. He wasn't quite the impactful player that I thought he could be in the run game. It seemed like, you know, again, he transitioned his body quite a bit last off season, you know, losing so much weight um, to get down in a better playing weight. I felt like it kind of took away from some of the natural power that he had in Missouri. Um, and he wasn't able to quite channel that enough in the run game this past year. So hopefully you know, he's, he's, completed that transition he's all muscle right now and that he can have more pop and more power in the run game moving forward but yeah we'll see I, I think ideally I'd like to get another veteran here with some some pedigree to start at left tackle here so that Larry Borm can be more of that natural swing tackle for this team because I like Braxton Jones I, I would like to see him change start right tackle but I mean if your tackle situation is Larry Borm and Tevin Jenkins with Braxton Jones, your swing tackle, I think you're setting yourself up for a, a pretty rough group of tackles there for the 2022 season. It may benefit them long-term uh, getting these guys out there and playing and developing. But again, Larry Borm, I, I think he's got a long way to go still. And we'll just see how he does in year two, because, you know, again, by the end of last year, uh, a lot of the holes in his game were really starting to show. Now getting out to the sixth round here, you know, the Bears are able to get some some contributors here in the sixth round, you said. Um, and starting now, starting with Khalil Herbert, who had over 400 yards rushing um, as a rookie here, you know, really stepped up Khalil Herbert at running back when David Montgomery went, went down. I, I You look at what he was able to do as a rookie, Khalil Herbert. Um, you know, look at that one stretch he had where David Montgomery, he was out due to an injury, to, to that hamstring injury. I think he had something like, three straight 100 yard games or something ridiculous during that stretch where it, it, it just seems like he was just perfect for what they were doing in their run scheme for that limited amount of time. Now, I don't know if they're going to 
go back to that ever again. But, you know, Khalil Herbert, I, I look at him and, you know, he's the kind of that ideal outside zone runner where he, you know, he's got good vision. Uh, he's got a nice quick one cut ability where once he sees the hole to go through, he makes that quick cut upfield. He explodes through the hole. Maybe doesn't have the most dynamic speed, but he has enough juice to get to the second level and get some yards and create some con- um, yards after the contact. Um, Khalil Herbert, I was really impressed with what he did as a rookie. And I'm excited to see what he does in year two because I think him and David Montgomery have a chance to be one of the better running back duos um, in the NFC here, you said. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts on Khalil Herbert and what do you think he's going to offer to the Bears in 2022 now that the Bears are going to more of that Shanahan outside zone scheme where I think that plays really well to Herbert's strengths. Khalil Herbert was one of my favorite players to watch last year. When you look at him as a player, what you're seeing is that electric spark plug, that home run hitter that the Bears kind of lack at the running back position because David Montgomery just does not have that breakaway speed needed to get in the open space and just finish off those big runs. When you look at Khalil Herbert as a player, I think what you're seeing is an incredibly smart, instinctive hard runner that has a lot of burst to him he's obviously got more than ideal special teams value as well returning kicks for the Virginia Tech Hokies and I believe Kansas State where he started out his college career and then on top of that the biggest overall thing is just his ceiling is pretty high he needs to develop and grow as a wide receiver and a receiving back but I think with Khalil Herbert, he's the type of player where you're going to see him really get more carries than a lot of people are willing to go ahead and anticipate because David Montgomery's got a lot of wear and tear on him. And Khalil Herbert is walking into year two with fresh legs, even hungrier and ready to go and ready to prove himself. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, the Bears split the workload a little bit here to give both these guys um, a chance to you know, set the tone here for this run game. It sounds like the Bears, they want to run the ball a lot this year. Um, they're certainly, in terms of the roster construction, are setting it up to where they're going to run the ball a lot. So you'd expect Khalil Herbert to be a pretty big piece in this run game here. We'll see how much they integrate him to the offense. But there were a ton of positive from Herbert. I think that was an absolute – I mean, this is probably one of the biggest steals for the Bears in this draft, getting Khalil Herbert in the sixth round. It's just more proof that running back's position where – you know, why draft these guys high? Why trade up for these guys when you can just get a Khalil Herbert in the sixth round on day three and give you similar, if not better production than the guys that you get early in the draft? Like, it's why running back as a position, and we can get all day into in terms of the weeds of, you know, talking about, you know, David Montgomery and his contract stats, but it's why you don't pay guys like David Montgomery because Khalil Herbert was arguably just as good, if not better than David Montgomery on a snap-to-snap basis last year, and you got him in the sixth round. So, um, I'm just mentioning that right now because there's going to be, I think there's going to be a ton of discussion about David Montgomery's contract status and extension status going into this year. Um, and the one, one reason why I think you'd have to be, have to pause on that in terms of paying a running back here is because you have Khalil Herbert here and he's shown enough, I think, to where 
if you would feel comfortable with him as a starter moving forward. Now, the Bears had two other six-round picks here, Daz Newsom and Thomas Graham Jr. You know, Daz Newsom didn't really have a ton of opportunities. You know, he dealt with a lot of injuries in training camp. You know, he got some action late in the year last year, had a couple of receptions. Um, you know, I, I think Daz Newsom has some potential to maybe develop into a nice situational depth piece as a slot receiver um, and kind of work his way on special teams, maybe as a punt returner. Um, but you know, my, my expectations aren't really high. I, I like the pick of Daz Newsom when they made it because I think he's a high floor player and there is lots to like about his game. And he, he did do some nice things when he had the opportunity late in the year. But uh, Thomas Graham is the most exciting player for me in the sixth round for the Bears um, because I think he has a legitimate shot to earn a starting job for this team down the road. Um, you know, Thomas Graham Jr. did not get a lot of playing time, of course, early in the year. As a cornerback, um, it seemed like he was just kind of buried on the depth chart for whatever reason behind uh, Kino Vildor and Duke Shelley. And he got in the field late in the year, and he was like flat out awesome. Like on a play-to-play basis, he might have been the Bears' best cornerback last year. And um, that's saying a lot because Jalen Johnson was good last year as well. But in the small sample size we saw from Thomas Graham, uh, man, he looked pretty dang good for a six-round pick. If, if anything, he looked like a guy that – you know, probably should have been on the field a lot sooner and probably should have been starting from week one, if we're being honest here, because he looked like a seasoned player. He looked like he had everything down in terms of um, communicating the zone coverages and match coverages um, in the back end of the defense. He was making plays on the ball. Um, he, he held his own against some pretty dang good wide receivers. You know, he got beat uh, at some times. I, I go back to that Seattle game where DK Metcalf just absolutely roasted him on the outside. Like those, those things are going to happen to any cornerback, especially a rookie six round pick. But um, I was really impressed with Thomas Graham. The Bears add some talent at cornerback this offseason. So it is going to be, there is a tougher path for him to get on the field. But, you know, what are your expectations for Graham? And you can talk about uh, Newsom as well, you said, as we get into this next upcoming year. Yeah, I'll start with Daz Newsom first. I think that when you look at Daz just overall as a player, you know, that 2020 season for UNC was so intriguing because they had Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Diami Brown, Daz Newsom. It was a pretty electric group of playmakers. And Daz being a tough, scrappy receiver that he is, he's certainly a player that plays much bigger than his size. Can also provide some special teams value. I really like that pick because I thought that there was a chance that the Bears roster, let's hear, let's just call it how it is, at the wide receiver position was kind of Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney and everyone else. And so then you begin experimenting and saying, I know that veterans like Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird are here on the roster, but can Daz legitimately carve out some sort of serious role? And again, he didn't really get the opportunity to significantly showcase it until injuries hampered the position later in the year. But when Daz did play, you saw kind of the toughness and the physicality stick out. And then when you look at Thomas Graham Jr. overall, he's a player that I think a lot of people have playing both in the slot originally, but he can play on the outside. He's also a player that I think is a cornerback, but someone that hits like safety. It's interesting because when you look at Thomas Graham Jr. as a player, right? I think that this year and this training camp, he's going to be one of the most interesting players to watch, specifically because when you look at Matt Eberflus and Alan Williams' background when it comes to coaching defensive backs, I think that there's something legitimate that really needs to be said for the way that they've been able to develop these day two, day three defensive backs and that Thomas Graham Jr. could probably be starting in the slot for the Bears all throughout 2022 because I think that the ceiling and the potential is 
really untapped. It should have been on display more last year, but he just didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see how the coaching staff uses Graham going into year two. Um, I think if he's on the team going into uh, the 50-man, three-man roster going into next year, I think he's got a pretty good chance to get on the field. You know, it sounds like he's going to be more of a slot cornerback for this new regime going forward. You have Jalen Johnson, Cal Gordon, the outside. They brought in Tavon Young um, to kind of be a veteran stopgap for that slot cornerback position. But I think that slot corner role is going to be wide open. I think Thomas Graham Jr. has a chance to take over that spot long term if he can kind of prove himself here. He's going to be in a perfect scheme, I think, you know, more of a zone scheme where he can have his eye on the quarterback and eye on the routes instead of having the man up. I think that's a better fit for Thomas Graham, although he can play some man-to-man coverage as well. But I'm just really excited because I thought he was an absolute steal when they got him in the sixth round um, originally. I thought he proved that for the most part last year in the limited time that we saw from him. And I'm looking forward to him taking another step this year, hopefully being a consistent contributor uh, for them going into this season. And think about it here. If Thomas Graham can take that next step forward and prove himself as a quality starter in the slot, you know, Jalen Johnson continues to do Jalen Johnson things. And Cal Gordon can prove himself to be a long-term start at that outside cornerback position. Um, you look at this cornerback room here long-term, it's starting to look pretty good for this Bears team moving forward here if all three of those guys can hit. I know that's a lot, a lot of uh, easier said than done um, moving forward here, and there's still a lot of times for to see these guys develop here. But um, if that can happen, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility because of what we've seen from all three of these players. And if that happens here, you know, the Bears – they have the building blocks here of a pretty dang good secondary if all works out and all does well. Now, the last pick here, we probably won't spend too much time on this, but Kairos Tonga in the seventh round, he got on the field a little bit here, here, and there um, in a deep defensive line rotation as he nose tackle. You know, that was Tonga's thing coming out of BYU as he's a traditional nose tackle, not a ton of pass rushing production in college, just a really good run stop for um, in the middle of your defensive line there at BYU. You know, I personally, you know, Tonga, he was about what I expected last year. Uh, you know, we did get on the field, you said. Um, again, he was another guy that I really liked in the seventh round. But again, seventh round pick, you got to keep your expectations pretty low of what to expect. But I thought when he was on the field, he looked fine. He looked like a rotational player in the NFL. You know, what do you, what do you think? Is there anything else that Tyra, you think that Kyrus Tonga can be moving forward now that we have a new regime here is going to be changing the defensive line system just a little bit here uh, from a 3-4 to a 4-3. Well, I mean, he did play in a 4-3 at BYU, so that bodes well for him, but I don't ever see him being a player that's necessarily athletic enough to warrant being a future long-term fit as a three-technique starter in this league, but I will say I think that he can provide enough stability and just enough consistency and reliability to the point where he is a good rotational piece. And let's be honest, I mean, this Bears defensive line, whatever we've been used to over the last four, five, six years, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, Bilal Nichols, right? Um, Mario Edwards Jr. is even another name that's in there. And so now we're kind of looking at Justin Jones, Elkwadeen Muhammad, Kyrus Tonga even. So there's a D line, this is a defensive line group that's obviously undergone a lot of turnover. And kind of what's happened now is this is that this unit is going to have a completely new face in 2022. And we're still going to see more and more faces coming over the next couple of years because a guy like an Elkudin Muhammad, probably not someone that's going to be 
here for more than two years, if we're being honest. You know, same I would say with Justin Jones, who I think is a complete toss-up, and I'm writing an article about him. And then Kyrus Tonga, I mean, he's got three years left on his rookie deal, so you don't really know whether or not any of the players the Bears have right now are stopgaps or the franchise use them as long-term solutions. I'm going to go ahead and say they're more of kind of stopgaps right now. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of reps out there for these guys to earn. I, I think with any of these late day three picks like Tonga, again, if he's on the roster, on the 53-man roster when the year opens in 2022, I think that's a successful offseason for him because seventh-round picks don't last very long. Um, in the NFL, a lot of these guys are on the practice squad for a couple of years and then they're out of the league altogether. So the fact that Tonga, if he can survive on the roster a little bit, um, that, that bodes well. And you need depth up front. You need guys that can rotate in and defend the run. You know, hopefully Tonga can offer that long term for the Bears defense moving forward because they need some guys that can come in and, you know, eat up some snaps for them uh, you know, here and there throughout the course of the season. It's just 17 games, a lot of snaps like you need guys like Tonga on your roster, hopefully. And, and, you know, we hope that he can develop into that moving forward long-term. So now that we've wrapped up the 2021 class here, you said any thoughts on this group moving forward as we go into this next season as a whole, you know, I, I think ultimately, you know, a lot of what we see from this Bears franchise moving forward does ride a lot on um, a lot of these guys hitting like Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins. Um, if those two can hit, especially like, this could be a very foundational draft for this Bears. I know I know it's a new regime. This isn't what Poles and Eberflus have picked um, for these guys, but you hope that these guys would step up this upcoming year and prove themselves as long-term pieces. So any thoughts on this group as a whole before we get before we get into this 2022 season and wrap up this podcast today? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's a really unproven group, which sounds incredibly generic to say for a rookie class, or I'm sorry, a draft class that's only game going into its second year but then you look at this and you say that hey look the argument could be made Khalil Herbert was the Bears biggest rookie contributor last year you know and that's no slight to a guy like a Justin Fields or Larry Forum. it's just the evaluation criteria for those other positions is different but I still think that the Bears can manage to turn this into a successful draft class and it would actually bode well for Eberflus and Poles to speed up this rebuild if Fields, Jenkins, and Porum can become solid, reliable players. And then if Thomas Graham Jr. can just develop into a good player himself, the Bears are going to have a successful draft class, I think. Yeah, I mean, I look at this here. You hope that one of Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum can develop into a long-term starter uh, for your offensive line. Ideally, Tevin Jenkins takes a step forward in his second year and really establishes himself as a long-term starter moving forward and Larry Borm kind of slide in as that swing tackle. I think that would be an ideal um, outcome for uh, this draft and probably a realistic outcome given what we've seen from these guys. Um, Khalil Herbert, I think he's uh, probably a good number two running back for you long-term. If not, maybe he can fill in as a starter if David Montgomery leaves him free agency. Um, I'm not expecting a ton of Dash even Kyrus Tong at this point, but Thomas Graham, like I said before, I think he does have starting upside for you at the cornerback, slot cornerback position. We'll see what ends up, ends up happening there. But at the very least, hopefully you have some very solid depth there. So a lot of good picks uh, late in this draft like that, like we talked about when this draft originally came up, like there was a reason why we were very high in this draft because a lot of these players are very talented 
And I think they showed some flashes last year. But as we know, it all rides on Justin Fields. If Justin Fields is good and the rest of these guys suck, it's still a good draft because you got your franchise quarterback and Justin Fields here. And that makes it a successful draft hall as, as, as a result. Um, Justin Fields, I think it's all eyes are going to be on him this next upcoming year. Can he take another step forward? Can he improve? Can he establish himself as the long-term franchise quarterback moving forward? It's going to be an uphill climb for him, obviously, because he is starting from such a low point after an up and down to be kind rookie year and really a struggle for a rookie season with a lot of adversity going his way. He's going to have a lot of adversity this year with the lack of talent around him. And you hope that, you know, the coaching staff can put him in positions to uh, succeed. They can do a little bit more to play to his strengths. And, you know, Justin Fields, we can start to see him incrementally improve his game. And by the end of the year, hopefully by this time next year, we're talking about Justin Fields where he's going into 2023 with a better supporting cast, with more talent on the offensive line, with more talent at wide receiver. You know, hopefully the conversation around Justin Fields next year is that we're ready to see him primed for a breakout season uh, and that the Bears are hopefully in a better spot to make a playoff run because of a player like Justin Fields. But only time will tell, and it's just going to be a matter of seeing these guys on the field in training camp going into the season, and we'll see how these guys do for this upcoming year. It's going to be a big year for this entire class here in 2021 um, as they go into a critical second season uh, for these young players. So that's going to wrap it up for us here today at the Facebook for Polls podcast. Make sure to uh, like and subscribe us at all podcasting platforms to uh, make sure to subscribe to us on the Blue Wire um, and anywhere where you uh, listen to your podcast here. Make sure to check out the Bear Report podcast with Zach and Aaron and make sure to follow us on social media at Twitter at Picks for Polls, where we're going to have a lot of updates for you guys there as we get closer and closer to the upcoming season for not only the NFL, but also college as well. Um, going to be getting to a lot more scouting and summer scouting here for the 2023 class um, as we get into July here. So very excited for that. Uh, you said, uh, where can our listeners follow you on Twitter and on social media and find your work? Yeah, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. Yeah, absolutely. You can find, follow me on Twitter at HFREMA25. You can find my work at The Bear Report as well. And make sure to subscribe to The Bear Report on YouTube as well. We're going to be hopefully getting some uh, new videos coming up for film work, for um, other projects that we want to do on The Bear Report YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to us there. Uh, it, it would really go a long way towards building up our uh, our program here, basically, at The Bear Report moving forward. Um, with that, I want to say to everyone, have a healthy and safe weekend moving forward. Have a good weekend, Bears fans. And we'll be talking to you guys next week to break down um, more OTA news moving forward and some more interesting stuff for this Bears offseason as we move forward here um, in the days of June here as we get closer and closer to training camp. So without further ado, have a great weekend and bear down, Bears fans. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 